It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Guessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Coming to you on uh, Sunday, actually. Sunday, not Monday. Sunday, July 8th uh, from Corner of the Galaxy Studios. I'm right here based in Southern California, and we've got the panda back. Uh, The panda a little under the weather in Russia, but uh, as long as Mr. Putin, President Putin, uh, uh, abides uh, by our deal, we should actually get to talk to Kevin this time and we won't miss out on another week. We have a bunch to talk about, including the LA Galaxy's 4-0 win over the Columbus crew, transfer window opening, some information there, and we're probably going to talk a little World Cup too as well. Kevin, uh, the panda, the the sick panda, uh, how's it going over there, buddy? Hey, previous comrade Josh. Yes, uh, the panda is very ill. The panda is really way under the weather. We're here in St. Petersburg today, the former Leningrad. We have been, so far since we last spoke, we've been uh, in Moscow, as you know, and then we went to uh, Samara, which also had a previous name. It was the name of a Bolshevik revolutionary hero whose name I can't pronounce, but um, it was Samara before. Then it went to that name during the Soviet era and went back. Then from there, we went to uh, Nizhny Novgorod, which was my favorite city so far. That's the former Gorky in sort of central Russia. Mm-hmm. And now we are in St. Petersburg, the former Leningrad, and we are re- the, the panda is really sick. Something with my fur, I think. The fur got a little molten, uh, or a little, there's some molting going on there or something. But uh, I am under the weather, as were many of the people in Samara, where it was extremely hot. That's where Mexico was beaten by Brazil. It was about 95 degrees with 40% humidity that day. And I don't know whether the weather had anything to do with it. Or I've been told by some veterans, this is my fourth World Cup, and that includes one women's World Cup, and I'm counting that because it had the words World Cup in the title. Yes. So I'm counting that as a World Cup. Um, I've been told by some of the other veterans that generally about halfway through the World Cup, uh, people start to get sick. This is the first of the four World Cups where I've gotten sick, but I think I'm making up for the other three. Yeah, hey, I, I know how it is. And and just speaking of being hot, by the way, uh, it was not too long ago while you were not here, uh, about 114 degrees in the Southland. So uh, so you, I think you still have the better of the uh, of the weather right now. Yeah, well, right now here in St. Petersburg, it's in the 60s and overcast. I will say that another thing about Russia, talking about the weather, obviously they're not going to match that heat, but um, it's so far uh, north that there's very little uh, nighttime. Uh, and so there have been uh, and so much work being done here. And with the time change, it's 10 hours time difference. So when I'm writing the story, like right now, we're recording at about 11.15 in the morning. It's late at night here. And I've got, a, you know, I, I have several hours to, still to file to my desk before deadline. Anyway, the point is there have been three occasions since I got here where the sun, uh, I saw the sun rise twice during the day I, I actually worked all the way through the nighttime but, but before i finished the sun was coming up again that's a very weird feeling when you <laughs> see the sun come up twice in one day yeah it, it's kind of like when they turn the lights on at the bar right that's that, that's you that's how it is same feeling kevin i would i wouldn't know about that josh <laughs> i was fig- i figured you wouldn't uh but okay so give us your you you've had a, a lot of games that you've seen played uh, you know i'd love to get just sort of your feeling about this world cup and and, and what you've uh, seen and witnessed uh, so far in Russia. Well, no offense to anyone in MLS, but it's really going to be hard to come back to MLS after seeing some of these teams. Um, I, I've been lucky. I got to see uh, all the really good teams and some not-so-good teams. Uh, seen Belgium a couple of times. Um, we're going to see England this week. and uh, seen I saw Brazil twice, uh, Russia, of course, um, and uh, France a couple of times. Um, it, it, it's been a great World Cup, and some people are talking about this being the best World Cup ever. I obviously I haven't been to every World Cup. I don't I don't know if I would go to the best World Cup ever. I do think there have been some demerits, some marks against this World Cup. Uh, I think VAR they're still struggling with that a little bit. I mean, there's been record. I think there's been something like 30 penalty kicks attempted. Um, that's just too much. Um, you know, there's just too many stoppages in play, and and too many goals scored from. Uh, the penalty uh, dot. It, it just you know, let, and there's been a ton of goals. I think 68 goals the last count on set pieces. That's a lot too. Not a lot from the run of play. And people are debating here why that is. And uh, one reason given is that the defenses are just so good they just cannot be broken down. 
And uh, so a lot of goals as a result have come from set pieces. Roberto Martinez, the Belgium coach, who used to be the coach, as you know, at Everton, right. uh, talked about that a little bit too. And he said, yes, you know, the defenses are so good, but you can scout teams. Uh, it's difficult to scout how to break down a, a defense because it will change during the run of play. But it's it's much easier to, to uh, scout how a team is going to react to a set piece. And he said that's why he thinks teams have had so much success on set pieces. It's very interesting, though. We could have Croatia in the final. I mean, if a lot of people think Croatia could beat England, um, it, it could be Croatia against either France or Belgium in the final. And, um, you know, from a soccer perspective, I think that's really interesting, showing how the game is growing and how some of these great players – uh, you know, going off to some of the major leagues in Europe and coming back to their homelands and transforming soccer there. Uh, so I, I would not at all be opposed to Croatia being in the final. I just wonder about, you know, this is the one time or one chance every four years to build soccer, not just in the U.S., but globally. And how many people are going to wake up in Auckland, uh, New Zealand, uh, you know, early in the morning to watch Croatia play in the World Cup final? Uh, yeah, I mean, but you could also have England-France in the final, and that would be a huge matchup as well. I mean, you know, looking at all the, all the matchups, and Belgium's great too, by the way, Kevin. I mean, you look at what you have in terms of, uh, you know, the four, the four final teams there, and they're all, they've all been playing well. They've all, they're all good teams. One side of the uh, bracket was surely stronger than the other, but that doesn't really mean anything coming down to the last four games, so... Um, well, and, and that's what you talk about the brackets. I mean, first of all, if you're asking me to pick which final I want, I would love to see Belgium, England. And the reason is, is just, uh, you know, England is all is England is the only team with every player on its team from its domestic league. All 23 players on the England team play in the Premier League. Belgium, as you know, it's star players. Vincent Company, Kevin Breiner, they all play in the Premier League, too. And it would almost be like a Premier League all-star game. That would be pretty interesting. France also has... Uh, you know, some players from the Premier League. Also, both coaches, Roberto Martinez and Southgate, Gareth Southgate from uh, England, really good guys um, and have interesting backstories. It would be a, you know, uh, a, a sort of a fun World Cup to cover and, and fun World Cup to write. Um, so, you know, th- there's those things going for it, too. Uh, it, 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 it was good to see that one side of the bracket with just England as the only former champion, and they hadn't won since 1996. Uh, excuse me, 1966, just to to get to see some different teams in there now. Um, it, you know, it really, it, you know, gives somebody else a chance, I guess. But when you do talk about those brackets, that's where, you know, if anyone's still caring about Mexico, that's where the Mexican national team, I think, made their big mistake. If they had gotten a point against Sweden in that game, not even a win, but in their th- last game of group play, if they had just gotten a point in that game and advanced as the group champion, I think they might still be here, you know, but they went into the other bracket and they had to play Brazil in their first game. And if they had won that, they would have had to play Belgium. They really had no chance. If they had gone to the other bracket, they would have played Switzerland in the first game. And I think they would have had a very good chance of advancing. That's what that's what everybody said. Everybody said uh, if they win that bracket, that they had a great chance. They didn't win the bracket, and they had every chance to win that their uh, their group there. They could have won that group. They could have avoided Brazil. That was what everybody was talking about. You must avoid Brazil, and then you don't avoid Brazil, and you get knocked out by Brazil, and and rightfully so. So anyway, that's uh, that's good. Well, I'm good. I'm glad you said. Uh, I think you said the the last uh, MLS player just went home from the World Cup. Yes. Too. Yeah, that's that's true. There were 19 MLS players starting the World Cup, as you know. There were six for Brazil, Brazil, excuse me, six for Panama, six for Costa Rica. We had the the, the uh, two LA Galaxy players, Carlos Vela from LAFC. I'm probably going to miss somebody. There was a, uh, a Orlando player with Peru. Um, there was a player, a, a Costa Rican player from from LAFC. Anyway, there were 19. Uh, it, it came down to the only one of them made it to the quarterfinals. And that was uh, Gustav Swenson. He's the defensive midfielder plays for the Seattle Sounders. Uh, he played for Sweden. Interesting, he made three appearances in the tournament. Started one game, I, I believe, and two off the bench. But in the three games that he played, Sweden won. Right. In the two games that he stayed on the bench and did not get in the game, they lost. So, obviously, that guy is the linchpin to this Sweden team. And now he's on his way back to Seattle. There you go. All right. So, uh, so there we go. Uh, now, coming back home, Kevin, uh, the LA Galaxy get a 4 nothing victory. A surprise. I'm going to tell you right now. A surprise 4 nothing victory over the Columbus crew. Um, I think it was uh, it was Chris Pontius who said it after the last game that said, you know, we really need another game like we had against Real Salt Lake, where it was just a solid showing from beginning to end. You know, we score three goals and they get the shutout. Well, sorry, Chris. 
Chris Pontius. You don't get the 3-0 victory. You got the 4-0 victory. Uh, the LA Galaxy, the big surprise here starting uh, Ramon Alessandrini on the bench. A surprise a little bit, but you knew that the Galaxy were going to rotate a little bit from game to game, so many games. They had three games in the last eight days. Uh, a possibility for nine points total, and they end up getting five points out of those nine points. Imagine if they got all nine points, Kevin, because it was certainly, if they were going to beat Columbus 4 to nothing, they should have been able to beat D.C. United. They should have been able to beat San Jose Earthquakes. And imagine what that would have done in the standings. Instead, they win, and they keep pace with the rest of the Western Conference because the entire Western Conference basically won last night. Well, I mean, but see, that's why this Galaxy team to me is so maddening. Trying to figure out what they're going to do and the, and and trying to see if they're going to play to any kind of a form. You know, most teams sort of have an mo. Um, you know, I I, I know we, you know listeners get tired of this, but I always have to fall back on my old baseball thing. There was one year when the Angels were great at home, and you knew they were going to win at home. Every time they played, they struggled on the road. The next year was exactly the opposite. But the the it wasn't five hundred anywhere. It was like all or nothing. And this Galaxy team doesn't seem to, to be that way. You can't really figure out where to, you know, where they're coming from or how they're going to play. And, you know, you're right. The two worst teams in the league, San Jose and, and, and DC United, they let two goal leads get away, wind up with draws. I agree with Ziggy Schmidt. Those felt like losses. Um, even though they were draws, you got a point, but it felt like you didn't deserve it. And then they played Columbus fourth in the Eastern Conference, which I think arguably is the better conference, right. and they beat them 4 nothing. wasn't even close, and Alessandrini coming off the bench, um, you know, they talked about he didn't celebrate his goals the way he normally does, but uh, I, I think Alessandrini is not, I, I don't think he's a happy camper right now. I, I think he's trying to figure out what Ziggy wants from him. I think he's been a little bit unhappy at how he's being used. Um, he definitely wants to start. He definitely wants to play 90 minutes. We know that because every time he gets taken off after 60 or 65, he uh, he pouts. So now he's starting on the bench, and he comes off and scores two goals. I mean, that's great for the Galaxy. Um, yeah, I think there was a little bit of I'll show you in, in Alessandrini's performance, and I wonder how long that's going to go on, how long uh, he's going to be able to, if Ziggy wants to keep him on the bench, how long he's going to be happy with that role. Um, but it worked, and uh, you know the second goal in stoppage time showed that he wasn't about just to, you know he wasn't about to quit. That he really wanted to, I think, deliver a message, and he did. Well, I mean, here's the thing: is that when you talk to Siggy Schmidt after the game, Siggy sh- said the reason they started him on the bench is because they thought he looked tired. Um, they thought he looked tired over the last couple of games, and they're like, let me give you a little bit of a breather. Let me get you, you know, I'm going to start you on the bench. And Roman was very honest after the game too, Kevin. He said, uh, you know, I wasn't happy. The coach told me yesterday, and no, I don't want to be on the bench. He goes, I'm a starter, and I want to start. He goes, but I'll do whatever the coach says, and, and I'll do it. And I came in there, and, you know, I scored two goals. He was also very honest and said that it was easy to come in and score two goals because the Galaxy are already winning two to nothing. So really there wasn't much pressure for that. Siggy Schmidt pointed out very, very loudly uh, to everybody in the press conference whenever they were asked about the play of Ramon Alessandrini and Larry Morgan um, actually uh, wrote an article about Alessandrini that should be up on our website by the time this podcast comes out. Um, But Larry asked the question to Siggy Schmidt and Siggy was very, very pointed in saying that he was more, he was happier with Ramon Alessandrini coming back and playing defense than the two goals that he scored. And so I think there's a focus there that, that Siggy Schmidt wants Ramon Alessandrini, Kevin, and you and I have talked about this many times, wants Ramon Alessandrini to be a more balanced player on both sides of the ball and particularly in this case he was very happy with the performance he got I don't this doesn't seem like this is punishment for Allison Trini this doesn't seem like this is an everyday thing that he's going to bring him off the bench every time this doesn't seem like he's moving him into that role none of that seems true it seems like he gave him a little bit of a breather with three games in in eight days Um, and now if he is healthy and he isn't tired then he will be starting again it seems but, like, you know that that's interesting though what Ziggy said though and the reason I say that is because you've seen Ola Kamara a guy who is a target striker on most teams um, just working his butt off to get back and play defense and yep. I've been really impressed with his work rate and, and the way he cycles back and the effort he puts into that because I think he's looked at it and said okay I am not the guy anymore Slatan's the guy um, so I need to, uh, to 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 be valuable to the team in other ways. And he's really hustled. Zolotan is not coming back. I'm, I'm sorry, Zolotan is not crossing midfield unless uh, he has to. Hey, so, hey uh, guess, guess who was playing defense last night as well? Zlatan Ibrahimovic was back on set pieces for sure and tracking back into wow. that upper third, you know, that, that middle section of the field to press and pressure the ball. I was... 
I was amazed at the at the form that everybody played last night. To be to be honest with you, that was one of the things well, with Zlatan he, that I was I was sort of like, oh, it's going to be one of those nights. Okay, he needs to come back on set pieces. He's the tallest guy in the league. He's got to be back there on set pieces. But but uh, my point is, for the most part, you you have uh, of the outfield players, you have nine of them playing. Well, eight if, if Ramon doesn't come back. You have only eight of them, uh, you know, coming back and playing defense. Ramon needs to be part of that. If Ola's going to do it, Ramon needs to do it. And if if Zlatan isn't, and you're saying he did it last night, if Zlatan isn't, then Ramon needs to get back there. I mean, I think that's just that's just this, the way that this team is structured and the personnel that they have. They can they can allow one guy to kind of linger up top, and that's probably going to be Zlatan and his bad knee. Yeah, it, it very it very well could be. Um, you know, the other big story was that uh, the Dos Santos brothers come back into the starting lineup uh, after playing a combined 48 minutes in the World Cup. After traveling back from Russia, uh, they're slotted right into the starting lineup um, as we expected them to be. Um, this was not a surprise, uh, I, I don't think, by any means. Uh, you had Jonathan Dos Santos, who slotted in next to Perry Kitchen, uh, and you had Giovanni Dos Santos, who really was the third sort of uh, attacker underneath Ibrahimovic, underneath Kamara, because you had Ibrahimovic and Kamara roaming up top as your two strikers. Uh, there was good interchange there. And then you had Giovanni Dos Santos, who was able to get into that. I'll tell you, Kevin, that was the most dangerous I've seen this LA Galaxy offense. It took him a little while to get there. Um, it certainly took them a little bit through the first half to really understand sort of how they wanted to play. And Columbus did a good job of exploiting space behind the midfield um, in that first half. But what you're seeing from, from Giovanni Dos Santos in this game was, as somebody said, about the best Gio has, has sort of been, um, you know, for the Galaxy in quite a while. So well, it's interesting. That's a surprise. I mean, it's a surprise to me. I actually thought it was going to go the other way, that he would be motivated before the World Cup to prove his worth to Juan Carlos Osorio and to get a spot on the team. And then the other theory was that he played so poor in the first half of the season that maybe the World Cup had become a distraction for him. And then when it was over, his mind would be at ease and he'd be able to come back and play. Granted, it's a sh small sample size. We've had one game. But if that's the way that he's going to play from here on out, that's like trading for another player. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, Siggy Schmidt, after the game, let me read you his quotes on uh, Jonathan and Giovanni Dos Santos because I thought it was interesting what he said about Gio. Uh, again, if you read between the lines on some of this stuff, we'll talk about it afterwards. But here's, uh, here's Siggy Schmidt. He says, I thought they did well. Obviously, Jonathan in midfield helps us bring the ball out a little bit. Again, it was a difficult game because we were going to concede a little bit of possession. I'll talk about that here in a second. I'll be, uh, concede a little bit of possession and territory. Uh, Giovanni did well because he led the counter for us on two or three occasions. He was a little bit unlucky when when he beat the guy um, going to his right in the box. And, and Gio gave everything he has. And when we took him out, it was because he had left everything on the field. I think his battle and his work today was very good. You always have to, Kevin, you always have to point out the things that Siggy find important in a player. And he thought that in this particular case, it was important to point out that Giovanni Dos Santos put everything on the table and gave everything. Almost in my mind saying, he hasn't done this for us yet this year, and he did it tonight. He left everything on the table. He gave us everything he had. He played with energy. He did. He was a little rusty, certainly. Um, you could see, I, I think I, I talked to uh, one, uh, one person close to the Galaxy who said he's probably a little deconditioned from not having played um, in the World Cup. Uh, very many, very many minutes at all. In fact, he only got 13 minutes. So there's some deconditioning that probably happened. So him playing and getting, you know, his minutes in the night and and performing the way you have to tip his hat. He may not show up on the score sheet, Kevin, but he was dangerous and his runs combined with Zlatan runs. There's some intelligence there between those two. Um, I think I think that could be something that you know again one game, but I feel very positive about the way the galaxy looked in the three and as Siggy Schmidt calls it a wonky three five two uh, formation. There, Kevin seems to be working for them. You got Ola Kamara, you got Zlatan Ibrahimovic up top, you get Giovanni dos Santos sitting in the playmaker role, the number ten underneath both of those guys. There's good interchange there. You have you know. Um, you have you have Ashley Cole who's able to move into the midfield on the left hand side, and Cole uh, eventually got the assist along with Jonathan Dos Santos on the first Kamara goal. 
um, that had all sorts of beautiful movement in it whenever you saw it. And Ola Kamara, masterclass, absolute masterclass in running to the near post. So you're seeing these guys fit into places that they feel comfortable. Even Jonathan Dos Santos paying paired next to Perry Kitchen in that defensive midfield role, it makes sense. This lineup to me, Kevin, makes sense. And it hasn't made sense for a very long time. Um, the three-five-two finally starts to make some sense, and then you're able to plug in the Dos Santos brothers right into this lineup without having to worry about anything. That's that's a success for Siggy Schmidt, getting those guys back and being in a team for nothing. That's a success, huge. Well, again, there's a couple of things there, and, and I can't get away from the World Cup as far as the Dos Santos brothers go, and and how that is impacting them, perhaps or not at all. But from what we've seen, again, small sample size. You know, perhaps, again, the World Cup was a distraction. The other thing is, is, hey, you know what? I, like you said, played 14 minutes. I'm not a, as good a player on this national team as I thought I was. Maybe I, I need to work a little harder. You know, maybe all that's figured into it. But what's really interesting is, and I've seen this too, when you talk about what Ziggy decides to say about certain players. And I've noticed that too, where there are some players where you expect there's going to be a scolding and there's not. He uh, he won't answer the question. He doesn't go there. He praises the player when you know he doesn't feel that way. Then there are other players that he essentially throws under the bus um, and, or that he goes out of his way to praise in the case of the Dos Santos the, uh, brothers this week. Um, and it, there is an art to that. And I've worked with managers and coaches in a lot of different sports. Many of them will not use the media at all. Everything is great. Everybody is having a great time. Everyone's working hard. That's always the big fallback. Mike Sosha is real good about that. Everyone's working hard, really trying hard. You know, they're doing the best they can when you know the guy just absolutely sucks and and the manager won't say it because he's not going to use the media to do that. Then there are others, and I've been around a lot to do this too, that will use the media. They will try to have private meetings with the players. They will talk to the players man to man. And when that doesn't work, they will go to the media. And and I think it's an attempt to get the message through another way. Um, It's interesting how they do that though. Does Ziggy then know that uh, whomever he's talking about, that they're paying attention to the media? Is that his hope that they'll read that somewhere or that somebody will mention it on, uh, you know, on Twitter or social media and they will get back to the player. Is that the hope? Um, or has Ziggy really thought it through that much? But I do find it interesting. There are some players that he definitely talks to us about in one way, and there, and there are others, other players who get the kid glove treatment because perhaps he feels like their psyche is not uh, strong enough to handle it, uh, to being criticized publicly, and that it will have a, an inverse effect to what he wants. Yeah, again, that's why it's always important to to listen and to the tone and how Siggy Schmidt talks about players. That gives you a good idea of where he's thinking and how he's trying to motivate these guys. We talked about it, uh, Kevin, after the last game, um, that it took, uh, you weren't there, obviously, but it took a while for Siggy Schmidt to come into the press conference after the draw with DC United. Um, I had speculated and then had it confirmed that uh, that Siggy Schmidt wasn't very happy with the guys, and nor would anybody be surprised that he wasn't very happy, and that he was in there yelling um, and and sort of you know trying to trying to beat home his message about the defense and and how he plays. Now, there's something interesting he talks about conceding space in this game, Kevin, um, which I think, uh, by the way, I'm going to say it is a ballsy move on Siggy Schmidt's part. In the second half, the Galaxy actually dropped deeper. They were winning one nothing at halftime. That was good, but Columbus had a couple really good chances. David Bingham eventually ended up making five saves, saves on the night. Uh, a couple of those in the first half. You had the Giassi Zardes goal that uh, was not a goal, and uh, Dave Romney is currently thanking and praying that VAR is used for the rest of his career because Giassi Zardes' cross hit Dave Romney in the foot and then <laughs> went into the back of the net. It would have been a horrible own goal. Um, and Romney didn't have a great night as it was. Uh, the Galaxy played well. Uh, Romney not so well, and I think he's thanking VAR. So you go into halftime having a goal overturned after you had just scored the first goal and really opened some things up. You did that well, and then you go into halftime realizing that Columbus had a ton of room in behind the midfield. Uh, Perry Kitchen was getting stretched. Jonathan Dos Santos and Kitchen were not connected well um, in that defensive midfield, and that's going to be, again, a little bit of a learning curve whenever you look at how uh, you know Jonathan Dos Santos hasn't played that many games, Gio Dos Santos hasn't played that many games. So try 
trying to get those get two on the same page again is going to be difficult. Um, so there was a ton of space. So Siggy Schmidt at halftime, and the adjustment they made was to drop a little bit deeper, Kevin, to concede a little more space, and quite honestly, to concede possession as well. Um, thinking that, and he said this specifically, thinking that they would be able to hit this team on the counterattack. Now, the goal that Zlatan Ibrahimovic scores from the penalty kick spot um, isn't exactly you know one of those counterattacks that ended up working, but certainly putting the Galaxy up 2-0 played even more into that conceding space, uh, dropping back a little bit deeper. One is uh, another thing that's an advantage of that that he didn't talk about was that uh, Columbus was trying to get in behind the Galaxy, and Jossi Zardes um, tried a bunch of times to run in behind Siani, to run in behind Shelvik, and it was close a couple times. Um, so if you're dropping back, you allow less space for them to run fr- run behind you, um, but it allows them to move closer to the goal by playing in front of you. So there's a bunch of things that sort of happen tactically in this game that Siggy Schmidt got right. Um, and you look at the two goals that Roman Alessandrini scored, um, certainly counterattacks and certainly uh, moving in the right direction on, on both of those. So it was a tactical move by Siggy Schmidt to concede that space, to drop a little bit, little bit deeper in the line and to allow Columbus to stay in front of them but not get in behind them, also to give up possession. And Columbus did end up, I believe, having more of the possession than the Galaxy. I'll have to look at the stats again, but at one point it was not even close. Um, Columbus was definitely in charge of the ball for, for most of that game, but the galaxy shot him big too, 20 to 14. Yeah. 20 to 14 outshot, but five on five. Whenever you look at shots on goal, Columbus was not getting great looks. The galaxy defense did a lot better stepping up. Um, there were some scary moments, obviously, as you can probably imagine, um, but they did good. And I should also point out that the referee who was Joseph Dickerson, uh, it was his first, uh, referee match at center, um, in Major League Soccer, I was told, um, and he had a little bit of a of a howler of a night for the entire night. So it was a it was a little sketchy there. Uh, I'll tell you though, Kevin, the guy who had the worst night on the field. It wasn't Dave Romney, even if that own goal would have gone in. Dave Romney still wouldn't have been the guy who had the worst night on the field. It was uh, it was Abu Bakbar. Um, who plays for Columbus, number 17. He's center back, um, and he it's Lawless Abu Bakbar, Abu. Back car. I'm trying to say it correctly. Um, and he had himself a nightmare of a night, Kevin. Uh, Ola Kamara beat him to the near post for the first goal. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic uh, baited him into taking him out and possibly a handball. I'm not sure which was for the penalty kick. Uh, Zlatan then tricked him into coming so close that Zlatan could then meg him. And everybody saw it. In fact, the whole crowd stood up and cheered whenever it happened. It was so obvious it was coming, Kevin, that you could have written a story about it before it happened. Because Zlatan just stood there holding, waiting, waiting for the moment. And then he megged him. And those two had been battling all night. And then Roman Alessandrini strips him of the ball, beats him a second time for his first goal. So that dude gave up a penalty kick and three goals on the night. And he had Zlatan Ibrahimovic posterize him uh, for all of eternity. It's, it, that's going to be difficult to ride on the plane home if you're that guy. Now, speaking of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, right? Am yes, I getting close? you're getting close. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I just have to say, I think I've said it before, but it, it begs repeating. Man, was I wrong about this guy, right? I mean, I here's a 36-year-old guy coming in. He's already retired from international football, coming off major knee surgery, um, no longer had a role at his club. Comes to MLS. I'm looking at this guy as, uh, as we kept saying, rich man's Alan Gordon. I really thought, especially after the LAFC game, that 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 might have convinced me more than anything. This guy is going to be a force off the bench. That's where he's best going to be used. Um, uh, you know, good move by the Galaxy bringing this game changer in, but he's going to come off the bench. And I, I was a little concerned about what I had heard about his personality. Turns out. Wrong all the way across the board. First of all, the personality. Yes, Zlatan is the things that he says. But you know what? It's become more and more apparent from those of us who have been around him a little bit that he is playing a character. And I talked to some journalists here, and they, some French journalists, and they, they totally agreed with me. And the more as I started looking at some of Zlatan's uh, antics overseas, you know, he tells the same jokes and the same stories over and over again. So it's <laughs> it's kind of a script. Right. Um, uh, so he's playing a character, and that's that's not who he is. And and both you and I have talked to players who who will say that he is a you know a big jerk on the field. That he is so so demanding. That was the guy, and and he's so arrogant about how he can do everything right, and and you should be able to do what he can do. And if you can't, you're not a good player. You're not trying. 
Um, that is his persona on the field. Off the field, players tell tell us that he's a great guy, that he fits in, that he joins in on the jokes. He doesn't mind being the butt of the jokes. Um, totally different from the persona that he puts out in public. And uh, again, you know, off the field, that's he's playing a character. On the field, that's what drives him. So. Um, he's not the, 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 the clubhouse record that I thought that he might be. And, you know, he's averaging better than a goal every 90 minutes. Yes. Um, uh, so he clearly knew what he was doing when he came here. I think perhaps maybe he looked and said, you know, I am 36. I do have a bad knee. I'm not going to be a, a force in the Premier League anymore or in any of the major European leagues. I can go to MLS and score goals. And you know what? If you're a soccer player, he's proven – what he can do. He's proven that he can be the best player in the world on any given day and that he can play in the top leagues and he can d- dominate those top leagues. Well, he's led four of European leagues in scoring, I think at some point, um, three of them for sure. And so he is going, uh, he, he loves scoring goals and he's not going to do it in the Premier League. So come over to MLS and have some fun doing it. So clearly we got that, or I got that wrong with Salatan. But what I still want to know, what I still haven't found out yet is. He took about a $25 million pay cut to come here. Nobody does that. I don't, you know, Mother Teresa wouldn't do that. First of all, she wouldn't be making $25 million to start with. But nobody gives up that much money for nothing. There has got to be something over here, whether it's his, uh, some of his uh, ancillary companies that he has starting, some sponsorship deals. There is, There has got to be some way that he's making some of those millions back. And I, don't, I don't know what it is, what, what, uh, what he's working on here. I'm sure we'll find that out later, but th- that's not important. What's important is the soccer, and he has been better than – I don't even think Chris Klein, as much as he tried to sell Zalatan, I don't think Chris Klein thought that he was getting this kind of a player. Well, he scores his 11th goal of the season. Um, that makes him tied for second in the league in goals overall, so the Golden Boot race is on. Uh, I think it's uh, still Joseph Martinez from Atlanta United who has 17 or 18 goals uh, last time I checked. I think it's 17. Um, so he's, uh, he's still actually, I think it's 18 now that I, now that I really think about it. Um, yeah, it's 18. So he has those, uh, Zlatan has less games played. Um, and if you look, like you said, the goals per 90, he has one of the highest goals per 90 minutes out of the top, like 18 goal scorers at one point. He was, uh, he was one of the, he was the top goal per 90 minutes goals per game. I think is still Joseph Martinez, um, right now, but, uh, gives Zlatan some more time. The other thing that's sort of approaching here, Kevin, and that I, I was tipped off by uh, LA galaxy PR, gee, I imagine why they'd want me to say this, but it's still, uh, it's still an interesting stat. Zlatan now just six goals away from 500 total career goals. So the race for 500 for Zlatan. Zlatan is uh, is certainly coming. It is coming soon uh, for Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and he gets the penalty kick goal, and he scores. That gets that takes the Galaxy up uh, two to nothing. I'll, I'll tell you this: you talked about the the locker room with Zlatan, and I'll, I'll just relay a, a short little story that I saw last night in the locker room. Obviously, a jovial place. Zlatan was upset that we w- that we wouldn't let him play his music while we were doing interviews. So as soon as the interview was over, the music came back on. And then when somebody would come back over, and the music would go back off. So that was something there. Um, the other thing that uh, that sort of happened was that uh, that Zlatan and a certain player were jawing at each other across the room, um, and the other player was threatening in, a, in obviously a jovial way to come over there and kick his butt. Uh, that player was, of course, Emmanuel Boateng, who told Zlatan that if he didn't zip it, he'd come over there and make sure that uh, he'd do it for him, right? So you have the smallest player on the LA Galaxy telling Zlatan, the biggest player, uh, that he was going to come over and, uh, and rock his world if he, if he, didn't, uh, if he didn't have an, have an issue there. So it was, it was humorous. Everybody was laughing. It was funny. But that's the kind of guy he is. He's over there. He's, ready, he's willing. He understands the, the joke in everything, and you certainly see that, uh, that the guys embrace him as one of the guys. You, you wouldn't see that with, with other guys. Nobody would step to Robbie Keane like that, uh, Kevin. No, you know, Robbie Keane, a lot of other players... Um, but what that story really tells you is, I mean, that, that is where I got Zlatan wrong. I really thought Zlatan would get, was hanging out with Ashley Cole and maybe the, the Dos Santos brothers, people that have made their mark, you know, in European soccer, played for the biggest leagues and played in the world cup and would have nothing to do with a, with a Daniel Sturris or a, or a, a Boateng or, you know, any of these MLS type players. And instead, um, you know, he's allowing Boateng to make him the butt of the joke and to allow everyone to laugh at him. Uh, you know, at, at, you know, because Boateng's picking on him and, and he becomes the butt of the joke in that case with a player that, um, I didn't think Zlatan would give the time of day to. So just shows you how, how wrong I was. Now, David Beckham was 
a guy that I thought got along pretty well in the locker room, but different personality. He yeah. was much quieter. He didn't, jo- you know, join in a lot, a lot of the joking, at least not that I saw. Um, and, and so I could see Beckham doing that, but that would have been totally out of character. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of time is larger than life. And if something's going on in the locker room, everybody needs to be involved in it. And uh, so in this case, it was Boateng. Maybe next time it'll be Bradford Jameson. I mean, you know, um, uh, it seems all comers are welcome to, to pick on Zlatan. He is. He, he will dish, and, and, he, and he did it in front of the media, too, which oh, is another yeah, thing. Yeah. No, and, and he dishes it out whenever he gets it. I mean, that's, it's clearly a give and take. And, and you certainly understand from his background why that would be sort of part of the way that he relaxes. Also, I'd like to point out that he made fun of Jovan Karofsky's shoes. Uh, whenever he came in. So Jovan came in and, and Zlatan said, well, we weren't doing an interview at the time, so Zlatan asked us all to turn around and take some uh, some photos of uh, of Jovan Karofsky's shoes, um, which I didn't I didn't quite get the joke there, but um, they were nice shoes, and Jovan didn't want any part of it and immediately ran out of the room as quickly as possible. So Zlatan thought that was pretty funny. And then you had uh, David Bingham. Again, the jovial part of the locker room. It's always good when they win, Kevin. It's, it's so much better to go in there and talk to the guys. But you also had David Bingham uh, harassing Ashley Cole about Ashley Cole's clothes being too big. Uh, he goes, he goes, hey Ash, aren't your clothes too big? What are you shrinking? He goes, you're getting so old that you're starting to get you're starting to get smaller. And mm-hmm. Ashley told him that that was just simply style, and he didn't know what he was talking about. So uh, all the all the good stuff in the locker room that was sort of happening around us uh, as we were doing interviews and and doing those things. So I mean, you get there, you get two nothing. The Galaxy had enough in the tank to hold off Columbus probably at two nothing. Uh, Ola Kamara exited the game, I think, in the 60th minute. Uh, Roman Alessandrini ended up coming in for him. Um, that was because Ola Kamara, we thought, had possibly re-aggravated the calf strain that he had. Uh, I talked to Siggy Schmidt after the game. Siggy said that uh, it was the same injury, but that it hadn't been re-aggravated, that Ola felt it getting tighter and decided to not go on any further so that way he wouldn't re-injure it. I talked to Ola afterwards and he told the same story. So a left calf strain right now, it's just precautionary. I think they probably got it in time. It seems from both the player and the coach that they got it in time and that there was no more damage there, but that's good that they were able to do it. Plus bring in Roman Alessandrini and six minutes later he gets his uh, his first goal um, and eventually gets his last one in, uh, in stoppage times. So Galaxy did a really good job, Kevin, of killing this game off with possession, which is not something they've been able to do, but it was there because they were able to counter quickly, get into space, and then slow the game down. All right, so that's there were tons of successes in this game in terms of how they played. There were some guys who didn't play particularly well, and the Galaxy still bossed Columbus around pretty well. Well, a couple more points on Zlatan. The 500 goals, if you remember at his introductory press conference, I I believe it, 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 it turned tense at one point. Uh, and then Zalatan came back and said, I've, I have more goals than a lot of players have games, and that kind of lightened the mood up a little bit. So he knew he was getting close to 500. The other thing, too, is did you hear anything about whether there were any friendly wagers or whether there's any back and forth? Um, yesterday yes. was the Ashley Cole Zalatan Ibrahimovic uh, World Cup No, it was, uh, it, was the quarterfinal. Da- it was the David Beckham Zlatan Ibrahimovic bet that everybody uh, oh, sort of picked up right. on. Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. And, and we did hear from that. So Zlatan actually answered. Um, so the bet was, at one point, was that uh, Zlatan had offered, told David Beckham that if uh, Sweden win, uh, if, if England wins, that he would take David Beckham to any restaurant in the world to eat. All right, and if uh, um, and if Sweden won, um, then he would. Uh, then David Beckham had to buy him whatever he wanted from IKEA. That was that. <laughs> that was the original bet. Okay, so then what? Uh, what? What? David went back to said, "Hey, how about this? I'll buy anything you want from IKEA. If uh, if England win, you have to come to Wembley, sit in the stadium with me." wear an England shirt, and and eat fish and chips. That was what it eventually became the wager. And uh, Zlatan said he heard from David already and that, of course, he will be going to Wembley. Uh, he'll put on the England kit and he'll be eating fish and chips. He goes, you lose a bet, you lose a bet. That's how, he, goes, he goes, I have to do what I have to do. You know, so it was one of those. Yeah. It was good. It was, it, he was smiling the whole time. So I, I think they clearly enjoyed all the uh, publicity they got out of it. Now, you read Zlatan's book. Do you remember the IKEA story? No, which I can't remember which which IKEA story. No, what? The, this to me is 
is a really interesting kind of and remember Zlatan did not write the book he it, it was ghost written but he clearly signed off on a lot of the information in there so he was okay with this one of his early stops I think it might have been when he went to Ajax when he was in the Netherlands he was a very young player was on the road by himself um, or, or maybe it was in Italy but in any case one of his early stops when he was still a very young player uh, he was alone away from home and he would go every night to Ikea to eat dinner um, oh, yep, I, I remember that now. Yep, because he didn't know where else to go. Yep, no, and, it, it it makes sense. I mean, again, you if you read that book and then you try, I, I have to feel that that is an accurate representation of of him, Kevin. Because things you read in the book and you talk to him in person, they just make so much sense together. It doesn't feel like the book and Zlatan are at odds with each other. So I have to imagine that it's an accurate representation of what he has done, um, and what he and, and who he is. It, it feels that way whenever I talk to him, anyway. Well, and that's why when people talk about David Beckham as soccer royalty, which he is, you remember David Beckham, one of his first jobs was cleaning the ashtrays out and picking up the empty beer mugs at a bowling alley in a very poor area of England, of London. Um, that's how he started. That was his first job. He wasn't, he wasn't born on a soccer pitch making millions of dollars and marrying pop stars. So when you get to talk to David Beckham away from all the glitz and glamour, that's the guy you talk to, the guy that cleaned cigarette butts out of ashtrays at a bowling alley when he was 15. And when you talk to Zalatan away from, from all the acting and the TV cameras, when the lights go off, you're talking to the guy that went to Ikea because he had nowhere else to go to eat. Um, and you know, sometimes we lose sight about that. We put these guys up on these pedestals and really they want to be looked at, you know, they want to be remembered as the guy that went to Ikea for dinner. Um, that's who Zalatan really is And this. And, uh, you know, he's made himself into a, uh, a, a world superhero and a multimillionaire and great, but at heart, he's the guy that used to go to Ikea because he didn't know where else to turn. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's very good. Uh, the Galaxy can get the four nothing win. Uh, let's go over some just crazy little stats that I was able to uh, pull out about this game. Uh, this is the first time the Galaxy have won by four goals since they beat Toronto FC four to nothing on July fourth, twenty fifteen. Um, this is just the second time all year that the Galaxy got a victory when both Jonathan Dos Santos and Giovanni Dos Santos start together. The first time was the very first game of the season. There, Kevin. Uh, let's see, the sixth shutout of the season for the Galaxy. So for a team that has now played 18 games, uh, a third of their games have been shutouts, which is an interesting stat to, whenever you look at the defense that has been so porous and horrible um, that, you know, Siggy Schmidt has spent so much time focusing on it and trying to make it better. So the Galaxy, again, sixth shutout of the season. We already talked about uh, David Bingham having five saves. Um, seventh goal of the season for Ola Kamara. We were talking about Giassi's artist coming into this, Kevin, and how many goals he would possibly score against his former team. The Galaxy shut him out, uh, and Ola Kamara got a goal, and I think people, and myself included, it probably overlooked maybe the motivation for Ola Kamara to also get a goal against his former team. And people said, but he wanted to leave. He doesn't feel like they did the, did him wrong. It, when you play your older team, you want to beat him. Uh, there's a motivation factor there. Uh, and now you have uh, Ramon Allison Journey getting the fourth and fifth goals of the season for him. So uh, very interesting. Uh, by the way, the last time that uh, Ramon Allison Journey came off the bench in a game, Kevin, was in Columbus back in August of 2017 when the Galaxy lost two to nothing. Goals scored by uh, Justin Merrim and Ola Kamara whenever he was with Columbus. So those are my, my fun stats that I pulled for this game uh, and why it matters. Uh, and it, it was a... It was a confidence-building win for sure, but the Galaxy have a tough road the next three games, um, and so hopefully this catapults them into having some confidence as they head on the road, first to New England, then to Philadelphia, then back home on a Thursday night to play LAFC, who just beat, excuse me, who just beat uh, Orlando 4-1 to on the night. So I think it was the first time, Kevin, that both LA teams were playing at the same time in Los Angeles. Um, so uh, LAFC actually it, it, yeah. it wasn't LAFC actually won the attendance battle slightly slightly yeah yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me um, I think that the attendance people were saying the attendance at StubHub Center was lower because there was an LAFC game I would say that the attendance at StubHub was lower because everybody thought it was going to be blazing balls hot as it had been and people didn't want to be outside and it was still warm uh, it was about 82 83 degrees at kickoff but it was in the 90s in the mid 90s for most of the 
that lead up to that game. So it got cool right there at the at the end of the uh, of the warm up period, and as the sun started to set, it started to get cooler. So you know, uh, you, you talk about Ola, and I think people have looked at Kamara and said, well, you know, with Slaton there, he's not the focus of the of the offense. He's not going to get the same kind of goals. He's not going to have the same kind of season. He's played 14 games now, and you said he has seven goals. Yep. Um, that's pretty much. I mean, last year he played 34 games, had 18 goals. He's not going to get 18. Probably not going to get 18 goals this year, but he's not going to play 34 games either. So the year before that, 25 games, 16 goals. He's pretty much uh, right where he should be. I mean, it, it's been a little understated, perhaps, because Zlatan does kind of suck all the air out of the room. But um, you know, the Galaxy are getting exactly what they wanted to get from Kamara. I think he's had a very solid season, even if a lot of people haven't noticed it. And the shutout number, I, I find that fascinating. They've had, with all the struggles they've had with their defense, and you look at the number of games they've given up three and four goals and and they let leads get away, um, and that's not all on David Bingham. And, you know, he has guys in front of them that are supposed to be helping them out. So it's on the defense collectively. But here's a team that can shut out a team, uh, you know, every three games – and then blow leads the way that they have, yeah. it just seems to suggest that they're either dysfunctional or there's something functionally wrong there that, um, you know, I don't know what it is, obviously, and neither does Ziggy or they would have fixed it. But uh, you did some talking to some people this weekend, and it looks like help could be coming. Yeah, yeah, just and I and I want to talk about that. I just want to reiterate that point you talked about it. I said that there are six shutouts on the year, and that is a true stat. They also have been, had allowed out allowed three goals six times this season. And if you want to say if they've allowed two or more goals ten times this season, so yeah, it's still an issue for the Galaxy and and all that. But as you said, um, I was able to talk to some people this week. Um, I was able to maybe dig down a little bit deeper in the LA Galaxy, obviously approaching the MLS transfer window opening on July 10th, um, are in the hunt for some reinforcements. Now, you've heard about most of the names that they have been talking about. In fact, it's just been one name so far, Jeff Cameron and uh, Defensive Help. Uh, the person that I talked to certainly was saying that, uh, that the Galaxy are focused on that defensive position. Um, and that uh, the center back looks like a likely position for that to happen. Uh, I had heard that Jeff Cameron uh, had turned down and certainly was reported out there, and I forget who reported it, and I apologize for that, uh, but reported that Jeff Cameron turned down a two-year deal worth $2 million to come for the LA Galaxy um, and play there, and one of the reasons that I had heard internally was that uh, Jeff Cameron did not want to play center back. He wanted to come in and play a defensive midfielder role, and he didn't want to play center back. I was told not to believe everything that I hear in regards to that particular rumor. So, um, I think there's a chance that the LA Galaxy, and I think that the Galaxy themselves, feel that they can get a deal done with Jeff Cameron. You have to remember, there's a bunch of things that line up in the stars in order to make this happen, Kevin. Uh, the LA Galaxy hold the number one allocation spot, which Cameron would be allocated to the league from, because he is a former U.S. Men's National pl Team player, um, and uh, it looks like uh, he will. He has a release clause in his contract from Stoke as they get relegated down to the championship. Now, Kevin, you and I certainly have talked that he could probably stay in the championship for a lot of money um, if he wanted to do that and maybe play there for another three years, three or four years uh, doing that. So it's going to have to be up to him whether or not he wants to do it. But I think the Galaxy feel confident that they can bring in some reinforcements in that center back position. And I ultimately think that if that happens, that there will be one or maybe two players that move out off the roster uh, in order to let Jeff Cameron come into this team. So that's no update. No, we, we, yeah. we, we can't just leave it there, though. We have to uh, uh, we have to go on. And we, we had a conversation before we started taping. Um. The players that we speculated, and this is not the Galaxy speculating, just us spitballing, um, the ones we came up with were Michael Ciani and Jao Pedro might be ones that we thought could be expendable. Yeah, I mean, the important part was of, of my conversation was that it wasn't just, because as you and I uh, probably rightfully assumed, and I was told, by the way, to use common sense with these things as well, right? And so when you and I use common sense, I think we actually do get pretty close. Um, to these things, but to use common sense that Michael Ciani um, is probably one of those, but I was told specifically to not just think about one player, to think about multiple players. Um, and then it might not just be one. It might, it could be two players that are moved out. And so if you're looking at the two players that cost the Galaxy, um, well, in terms of a transfer fee, if you look at the transfer fees that uh, certainly they paid for Joao Pedro, about $1.6 million. And if you look at the, uh, at 
the overall salary from Michael Ciani at $620,000, you could certainly understand why there would be some money tied up in both those players and getting rid of them, releasing them, or trading them, or transferring however they want to do it. Uh, could possibly see them uh, relieve some of that financial pressure in order to land somebody like Jeff Cameron. The, the interesting part now is whether or not Jeff Cameron fits onto this team. He fits it positionally. The LA Galaxy need a center back. I have argued that, uh, Kevin, the reason that the right backs have struggled and the reason that Jorgen Shelvick has struggled uh, is because he's paired with Michael Ciani, who I think is a subpar defender in Major League Soccer and certainly not worth the $620,000 that they signed him for. Um, so if you can put a center back in there like Jeff Cameron, who I think is a very good center back and would do very good in this lineup, he's a little bit bigger body than Shelvick is. Um, so I, I like that. He sort of still has that physical presence that Siani has, but Siani gets turned way too easily. Granted, he had a good game against the Columbus crew. Uh, Larry Morgan, who was sitting next to me, he goes, I don't want to say it too loud, but Michael Ciani's having a good game. And I said, yeah, I understand what you're saying. He is. He, he played well against Columbus. But that is hit and miss with him all the time. I think the defense dramatically improves with somebody like Jeff Cameron. But, Kevin, you certainly raised some, some hesitation with him in terms of what he would do to this locker room. Yeah, from what I've heard and what, I, what I've been told from people here who are – you know, I've been around the national team, but other people are a little bit closer. Um, that he's not necessarily a guy that's going to fit into this Galaxy locker room um, in, in a big way. And he may, the fact that he's coming from the Premier League back to MLS, um, into the MLS locker room, um, granted his team was relegated and, and that's why he had to come. Uh, you know, he, he may not fit in the way that Zlatan has. Zlatan has accepted what he is and where he is and what his role is here. Um, there seems to be some trepidation that Jeff Cameron would uh, believe that he was playing in an inferior league and playing with inferior players and would, would make that known. Uh, I do have to say, though, from what you were telling me about your conversation with Galaxy people, it does seem as if the ball is in Jeff's court right now. The, the offer has been made. The position is open. Um, a, you know, Interest has been expressed. It's up to him now. Um, and I'm wondering too of, about the price. Now, two years, ten, uh, two million dollars. That's pretty much what all the galaxy can pay, given the fact that they are already chock full of designated players, and they do have a salary cap to worry about and other things. And and uh, that's about all they can do. Now, if Jeff Cameron is getting good financial advice, he knows that. If he's not, he's looking at this galaxy team and saying, "Hey, you guys need me. If you don't want to keep blowing two goal leads, you need me. So let's up that price a little bit." Um, you know, he needs to be told that they can up the price, that they're actually paying him top dollar. That's every dollar that they can afford to pay him. Uh, he can play in the championship and uh, and do well if he wants to have, you know, be back on the map of the, the uh, national team, which I'm not sure that he does. But if he wants to be back on the map of the national team, I think he, it would be a better move for him to come to MLS than to play in the second tier league in England. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, I'll tell you this. Um, a little bit of a surprise. Uh, I always assumed that allocation money was totally hidden from other teams. So granted, how much how much money the LA Galaxy had, Kevin, would not be known to LAFC um, or the Seattle Sounders because it would sort of kill an, a competitive advantage, right? Um, because you don't want to know how much money you have because I don't want you to know how much money I have because I don't want you to know how much I'm willing to pay. Like, if you knew I had $500,000 in allocation money, um, then, and I'm only saying that I can only afford to pay you $50,000, you're sitting there going, BS, you have $500,000. I know you do. It, I am told that's not true. I am told that the uh, that the teams do get on occasion snapshots of how much funds each team has in terms of allocation money. I would imagine, um, you know, targeted allocation money, any any of the the different uh, variations of allocation money that teams do have small snapshots into what those teams have. Now, those that's a snapshot in time. It's usually a time that has passed, so it's not like a current snapshot right then. It's usually from, you know, a month ago or six months ago or something like that, but that you generally understand, um, you know, how that goes. And that allows teams to enter into negotiations. Like, Kevin, if, you're, if, if you wanted to buy, you know, um, Ola Kamara from the Galaxy and you say, well, I mean... You know, uh, I want Ola Kamara, and uh, and so so if you're the Galaxy, you look at you and you say, okay, but I know you only have $150,000 in allocation money, so that's not going to get the deal done, so I don't need to bother with this. This isn't going to be something worth my time, because I'm looking to get that money, unless you throw in another player, unless you throw in all these other things, you know, how am I going to get that money uh, from you when you don't have it? 
So it actually uh, allows negotiations to take place uh, or narrow down those negotiations into, into how things go. I thought that was super interesting. Maybe that's just a rules nerd like me, Kevin, but I thought it was really, really no, interesting. I, I think the more of that stuff that's transparent, the more that's out in the open, the better it is because then you know, again, you know what, what you're playing with. You know what is going to motivate the other team. You, you, you know, maybe there's a team that is not interested in a player you have, but uh, you might give them allocation money or give them a player that would help make a salary cap available or, or whatever it might be, that, that there is a way that you can use that uh, situation that another team has to your advantage. But you can't do that if everything's hidden. Well, the, the final thing that I also had discussions about, and, and certainly... Again, Kevin, using common sense, we can come to conclusions on some of these things in terms of what are the Galaxy trying to get, what do they need? And you and I both have talked about the need for a number 10. Now, Giovanni Dos Santos did well in his role as the number 10 in this, but let's be honest, Gio's up and down, and so trying to rely on him for the rest of the season might be a bit of a gamble, but it might be a gamble the Galaxy have to make because there's just simply not a solution anymore. Um, if you look at where they're at right now, I would say that they are more focused on building up the defense um, they are more focused on getting that center back that they need than anything else on the field and that any rumors that you hear about number 10s or wingers or anything else that is is probably not true. All right, There is a, an extreme focus on the defense, and it's because that's probably where they have enough money to spend. They do not have the DP money that they would like to get as a number 10. Okay, so whenever you're looking at the number 10 role that clearly the Galaxy have struggled with so far this season, I think they're going to rely on Giovanni Dos Santos for the rest of the season, and they will see where those cards sort of end up. Gio still has, what, Kevin, a year and a half left on his contract right now? Um, yeah, both Dos Santos is through 2019. Yeah, yeah, so so you you still have those guys committed, and you have Ramon Alessandrini, I believe, also committed through the same uh, amount of time. Um you have a gu- you have guys who you are committed to. It's going to be difficult for those to go. We've talked about that before, saying that it's pie in the sky dreaming that Giovanni Dos Santos was going to be transferred to somewhere in Mexico. And I think Wendy and I talked about it a little bit on Thursday night as well, if you want to go back and listen to that podcast and how you do it. But I will tell you right now, I do not believe the Galaxy are focused on a number 10 right now. I believe that they think that they don't have the money to spend there for what they need. Um, and so they're not going to spend the money there, but they are going to look at the defense. Right now, Jeff Cameron seems the most likely option. That's my observation um and so we'll see the if the offer was indeed rejected uh, as i've said before and uh, on previous podcasts and kevin you said it as well the ball's in jeff cameron's court the galaxy are going to have to overpay to get him um so he knows it everybody knows it and do you want to do that with a 32 year old center back it's all the questions that need to be answered but with the transfer window opening very very soon here july 10th uh coming up in just a matter of days we're recording on july 8th so coming up on tuesday the transfer window will be open expect some of these moves uh, could possibly be coming and also expect their rhetoric and all of the rumors to certainly hit fever pitch. Uh, I was joking around with uh, with somebody I was talking to uh, and they said, yeah, it's it's almost impossible to tell all these rumors um, because the Galaxy get linked with everybody, Kevin, something you and I have joked about multiple times, uh, how everybody always links the Galaxy with this stuff. Um, and this person says, uh, yeah, sometimes I have to go look up the names as well. So um, whenever they're linked to the club, so which is always uh, sort of humorous and sort of funny uh, whenever it comes down. So anyway, that's sort of your update. I wanted to make sure that we got everybody on, you know, listening to the podcast as the fans. You guys deserve to know this information, deserve to have the best information. And so we're trying to point you in the right direction here. We're not trying to give you false hopes of anything. Uh, certainly not the number 10 or new designated players. I think that's sort of outrageous at this point. Um, but the Galaxy do look to still be trying to improve this team. Well, yeah, and, and when they do that, I mean... I, I have actually gone through the salaries, MLS salaries, a couple of times on different stories, and it is it's extremely apparent when you break it down that the big money is the number tens, the the playmaking midfielders, and the strikers. Um, those guys get a lot of money, for, and and if you're going to bring in an impact player, you say the Galaxy need a number ten. If you're going to bring in someone who's going to change the team, he's going to cost you a ton of money. If the Galaxy do not have a DP spot, and they don't have a ton of money to spend. Conversely, when you look at salaries for defenders and even international players who are defenders, it, it, the salary difference is much it, it's much lower on the back line. So you can take a little bit of money and impact your team in a great way defensively that you can't do it offensively. You need a lot of money and you need position available and all that kind of stuff. So you're absolutely right. And and again, using common sense, if you're a front office guy, you look at this team and see, say, we have Ola Kamara, we have Zlatan Ibrahimovic, we have uh, you know, Ramon Alessandrini, we have the 
the Dos Santos brothers, if we can light a fire under them, they're going to be pretty good too. We have all this attacking power. Um, yes, we don't necessarily have a playmaker, but we can't afford to go out and get the guy that we really need. Where we can impact this team is this is a team that has shown some some ability on the defensive end. They have six shutouts, but they've also given up three or more goals in six games. So we can impact that part of the equation um, for just a little bit of money. We're affecting it on the offensive end uh, is going to cost us a lot. And you know what? If a defender stops a goal and you win the game one to nothing, he's impacted that game just as much as if you were a striker that scored the winning goal in a two-to-one game. You still won the game by one goal. If you have a guy that stops a goal rather than a guy that scores the goal, your your goal differential is still plus one, and that's what it takes to win. And so I think the Galaxy are looking at that, and other general managers have told me the same thing. Look, we can uh, we can, and and again, the Galaxy have the most expensive defense in the league, so it's throwing uh, good money after bad, certainly. But that's a way that we can impact our team's performance is to spend it on the defense, and I think that I think the Galaxy are right to do that. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how that all uh, all comes down. And, and again, July 10th, transfer window opens. Uh, it goes into August. I forget. I always forget when it closes, but we'll update you on that as it comes around. LA Galaxy getting ready to transfer, or excuse me, getting ready to travel to the East Coast twice. Uh, right now, it seems like they are going and coming back and going and coming back and not staying on the East Coast. We'll find out more as we get closer and closer, uh, as we believe the travel day is Thursday. We should have a live show coming up on Thursday night that we'll get that. There might be some plans changing. I may have to go out of town. It might not be live. I may have to do a uh, solo show from a hotel room that's recorded and all that fun stuff as well. But we'll keep you updated on our Twitter and Facebook pages for that information. Uh, LA Galaxy, again, getting ready to face off against New England, um, who is a very good team in the Eastern Conference right now. Um, New England sits in fifth place, uh, just underneath the Columbus crew, which is uh, which is interesting. I would say New England's probably the hotter of those two teams right now. Um, and obviously Atlanta United, the two New York teams um, sitting up above them as well. The LA Galaxy, despite getting the win, Kevin, I, I joked about it at the very beginning, still sitting in eighth place in the Western Conference after winning that game. But it's good that they won because everybody in the Western Conference basically won. Um, and so that puts the Galaxy again, still in eighth place now with 25 points, tied with the Houston Dynamo with 25 points. Vancouver, the final right now sixth place playoff team, at 1.37 points per game, the Galaxy have 1.39 points per game. So technically a better team than Vancouver if you go by points per game. Uh, they're the last ones who sit there in sixth place. And then you have Portland, Real Salt Lake going up the table. Uh, and third place, Sporting Kansas City, second LAFC. Uh, they got a 4-1 win over Orlando City. Uh, and then FC Dallas sits at the very top of the heap right now in the Western Conference with 35 points, 1.94 points per Per game, Galaxy have a chance to go on a streak, streak here, but they're playing three incredibly difficult teams. They're playing all three of them on the road, including that Thursday, I believe, July 26th game. Yeah, July 26th at LAFC, um, which will be an in- interesting game. First time uh, at Bank of California Stadium. But, you know, the one thing is you talk about the playoff uh, positioning a little bit. There is nobody, I know this for a fact, there is no team in MLS that wants to play the Galaxy in those one-off wildcard games. You can talk about how, you know, there are other teams that are better. Vancouver might be a better team, Kansas City. But those are better teams over 34-game schedule. Nobody wants to play the Galaxy in a one-and-done playoff game. Um, because of Zlatan. You just never know what he's going to do. You can't control him. You can't mark him. You can't defend him. He may do, he pull an LAFC out of his hat and uh, and just take over the game. Nobody wants to play that a wild card game against what essentially is a wild card team. And you've talked about it too. Six shutouts, six times they've given up three goals or more. So you don't know what you're going to get, and you especially know don't know what you're going to get with Zlatan. Um, I think the whole west, the rest of the Western Conference is saying that we hope the Galaxy finish seventh because if they get in there in that one-and-done playoff round, they are going to be dangerous, and there's no way that we can prepare for them. Yeah, it, it's certainly something like that. I'll, I'll be honest, I, I don't even know what this Galaxy team is still. Um, it's the consistency part. That's what they're missing now. So you saw the 4 nothing win. They need to put in a good concerted effort against the New England Revolution. Yes, draws against New England and draws against Philadelphia, both away games, would be wonderful results for the Galaxy. All right, so take that with you as you as you get ready to watch these next games. When you come home and then play a short week against LAFC, that's a more difficult game. I'll be honest, a draw there is probably a great result as well. So look at these next three games, understand where they are, and certainly we'll be here to help you through those as best we can. All right, Kevin, anything else? Uh, you have a couple days off before the, uh, the semifinals here. Uh, which semifinal are you catching? Are you catching them both? I am doing both. One, the first one here in St. Petersburg, and then flying the next morning 
to Moscow for the England-Croatia one. And then on Sunday, we're told they're going to have a final, which that, is exciting. That, that seems like how it's all working to it. That's what it is. So uh, Kevin will still be covering that cover. Uh, make sure you follow him on Twitter. He'll, he'll give you all the updates that you need as he attempts to uh, outlast the sun uh, there in Russia uh, multiple times. All right, Kevin, anything else, buddy? You good? Dos vidanya, comrade Josh. Uh, all right, Kevin. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter... <clears throat> Hold on a second. My my soundboard didn't work, so give me one second, and I will fix it. <clears throat> three. I blame all this on Putin. Yeah, I know. You two, you and me both. All right, three, two, and one. All right, if you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, of course, follow him at KBaxter11 and head on over to the LA Times where he does all the coverage of all the World Cup stuff that you want to know and, of course, uh, covering LAFC and the LA Galaxy as well whenever he's back here in the United States. If you're looking for me on Twitter, at JGuessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and, of course, at Galaxy Podcast. And uh, please head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com where you can get all of our written articles, all of our podcasts, all of our previews, our recaps, and everything else as uh, I and uh, Mr. Larry Morgan attempt to keep you updated on all things LA Galaxy. Interesting times for the Galaxy. Transfer window opening on Tuesday. Galaxy getting ready to head to New England. For Mr. Kevin Baxter, who's all the way over there in St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg, Russia, I'm Josh Kessman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy from the Box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.